Previously on the Shaky Town Radio Hour. Everything. Dun, dun, dun. On this episode, we continue our conversation with filmmaker Roger Nygaard. More everything. Dun, dun, dun. So listen, kids, if you don't want to get your nose smashed flat for asking too many questions, be observing. Find out for yourself. You might be pleased and surprised about the new experiences you'll have. this, the second part of our conversation with Roger Nygaard, we dig deeper into his latest film, The Nature of Existence. We talk about Southern wrestlers. Mm, of course we do. Well, of course we do. <sighs> we talk about uh, science fiction authors. We talk about ambiguous gurus. I'm a loyal Shaky Town listener. Can I get a discount to Roger Nygaard's films and other interesting things on his website? Yes, we can. Or you can. I certainly can. <laughs> How do I get this thing that is a special discount? You'll have to keep on listening to this episode of The Shaky Town Radio Hour. Roger on and he's great um, and I was like whatever and I was like no for sure um, and I said whatever I'm just not going to argue have you that. ever flirted with the idea of, of trying that going up doing stand up comedian yeah not really it's not I never ever wanted to be in front of the camera or in front of a microphone mm-hmm. that evolved I'm very much the reluctant protagonist in this movie right. <laughs> right it was not my goal and I arrived there by necessity because I started shooting the film by myself without myself involved in the film at all, just interviewing people, not knowing what the story was, and it being a four-year process, around the year and a half point, I was showing some cut footage like of the Christian wrestlers, the ultimate Christian wrestlers, mm-hmm. to a filmmaker friend of mine named Paul Tarantino. And Paul suggested I put myself in the film when I was lamenting, I don't know what the story is here, what do I do? And he said, well, it's your story. Right? And so... I had no other choice really it was either that or hire Morgan Freeman nice. <laughs> I you know, couldn't afford that so I had to step in we bought a second camera Paul joined my team and he filmed me doing interviews and we began working my story into this journey so it's my journey around the world where I meet all these people of different religions and belief systems as I ask them questions you learn what I learn about why people believe what they believe mm-hmm. and my goal in this making this film was to compare and contrast people of all these different belief systems like Jainists, Buddhists, Hindus, Muslims, Christians, Jews, Taoists, Confucianists, Baba lovers, atheists, scientists, everyday people, waitresses, wrestlers, yeah. put them all together, hear what they all have to say to these big questions, why do we exist, what is our purpose, is there an afterlife, where exactly is it located if there is? What is the soul? How does it work? How do you transfer the memories from your brain to a soul, if there is a soul? Because if you don't transfer your memories, 
it's not you. So it kind of doesn't even matter if you have a soul because you won't remember. It won't. It will have nothing to do with who you are now, et cetera, et cetera. Sure, sure. Collecting all these answers together so the viewer can learn what I learned by seeing them side by side in a fair, as much as much of a non-judgmental way as I could. So the idea for this um, movie came from a really personal place for you. A really personal place of yours. I know that uh, not only 9-11, um, which... You, you were present in New York for? No, I was here in Los Angeles. Just saw it on TV like everybody else. Yeah. And uh, I mean, the thing about 9-11 for me was that it forced our entire country to, to face our mortality simultaneously mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. for about a week before mm -hmm. we could shove it back under the, the cerebral carpet again. And, I think and, it took a little longer than that. I think when the planes started flying again, because I, I live two miles from Burbank Airport, and from 7 a.m. to like, 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night, planes go out of there on a fairly regular basis. <laughs> Anyone who listens to this podcast regularly on the ones that we tape in my backyard <laughs> will know that we get, you know, planes going over all the time. And that was really, really weird. More so because my 9-11 story is I woke up, turned on the TV, normally FX had Buffy on. <laughs> and it's either the TV's either on FX because I watched Cops when I got home in the afternoon <laughs> or Buffy in the morning. And it happened to be CNN, and I tuned in literally like 45 seconds before the first tower went down. So I'm like, World Trade Center's on fire. Oh, that looks like it sucks. What the hell just happened? And I spent, I, like the next hour, the only words out of my mouth were, holy shit. The whole time. Yeah. But for a week, I think it was, I think it was a little more than a week. Whenever they lifted the moratorium on, on, on mm -hmm. fl domestic flights, that I think is when things started, like, you know... People could go start going back into denial about we, the mortality, and we all right, sat on our right. we all sat on our porches. We all we all stood in our front yards. Like everybody went out and just stared at each other. It was the weirdest thing. It was the weirdest thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, that's what was interesting about it to me, psychologically and sociologically, is that everybody in our country at the same time yeah. yes. had to go through that process. Yeah. Which normally we're in denial. You know, death is is hidden away. Oh, yeah, old, yeah. old people are hidden away in homes and hospitals and we right. don't want to know it's a youth-based culture which makes sense from an evolutionary standpoint as well if there's another if we want to go to that tangent but that for me was sort of the third leg in or the third pillar that was knocked out of the wall holding back my denial of my own mortality right and and with that wall down i began interrogating my friends often without their permission right. <laughs> about <laughs> these things that were bothering me <laughs> about why do we exist? What's the point of everything? How can yeah. people believe things that are so different? Yeah. And if these guys who flew airplanes, you know, they obviously believed what they did sure. strongly. And if the litmus test for who's right, it's like, how do you find truth in this world, in this universe? If the litmus test is whoever believes it's strongest, they would win. Yeah, that's I the, would whole, lose. the Bill Maher thing. The, the Bill Maher thing where, you know, the, these guys aren't cowards because they intentionally flew planes into a building. That takes some big fucking cojones. Yeah. You know, there's there's no no denying that, you know, to single-mindedly train and prepare for essentially a paramilitary operation that's going to end in your death, you know, if, if you made a movie about that, it would be like the Dirty Dozen and these guys would be heroes. And, you know, it's like, it's just that they were doing it in service to you know, their religious beliefs as opposed right. to trying to kill Hitler, <laughs> you know, or, or something that seems well, more... Well, back to your tribal analogy, yeah. it's just tribal. They have yeah. a tribe, and they yeah. feel their tribe is under siege yes. by a tribe represented by the Twin Towers. Right. 
which, you know, the United States multinational corporations and other countries have been plundering other countries' mm-hmm. wealth since the beginning of plunder. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> Someone's always going to come along to try and plunder somebody else. And someone will be resentful about it. And if Absolutely. they get an opportunity to get you in their sights, sure. pull the trigger. Yeah. So part of the process for me was to try to understand why people would believe things so differently. It, it started, this whole mortality obsession, and my exist, it's more of an existentialist obsession, yeah. started when I was age seven, around the time I started my filmmaking career. It was also when I became aware of my own mortality and realized I was going to die someday, which is hugely shocking to an entity that until that point assumed, well, of course I would always be here. I've mm-hmm. always been here. As long as I can remember, mm-hmm. why wouldn't I always be here? That initial shock was then driven home when my father died at age 13 when I had to face mortality again. It's right there in front of me. My whole life is changing for me and my family. And then uh, 9-11 when uh, you know, I, did, I went through that process with the whole country again yeah. and then started asking these questions and allowed my filmmaking career or maybe chose to intersect those two things and make a movie about it. Uh, and I wanted to ask you about your dad because... Um... I mean, you said even today that uh, your idea for grabbing the camera came from him and um, obviously thinking about your mortality uh, came from his passing. Was he a very, from what you remember, an inquisitive man? And, or in, in your mom? Um, is yeah, I wish I knew, you know, because yeah. when I was 13, at that age, at that point, I hadn't had a chance to really have an adult conversation with him about what he really believed. Yeah, I did uh, go and interrogate my grandmother last summer who just turned 100 but she still is very sharp and I asked her about my father my grandparents you know great grandparents because she's really the last surviving link and just to try to get a a sense of more of a sense of who he was but the thing I remember most about my father was that he would make people laugh and I always wanted to be like him like we always want we want to be like our dad right because he's the guy that we idolize he was in our life he would have uh, friends over, and he would always be the center of attention, and 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 be very funny and charming and witty, and uh, you know I wanted to also make people laugh. And so now you know all my films, whether it's an action picture or a documentary, are they have that element of humor to to them, yeah. finding the humor in in human existence. Um, it's funny that you say that because I I I'm 32 and my father is is uh, in his 50s and I still haven't had that adult conversation you with him about his must beliefs. Have it. You yeah. should sit him down because yeah. he may not be here another week. Yeah. Or 10 years or who what knows. Do you just, what yeah. do you know? I mean, <laughs> I know what happens to people. <laughs> yeah. I can tell you from experience. Yeah. You know, it can become as a as a sure. surprise. Absolutely. You know, I lost my best friend from high school, or certainly one of them, to a motorcycle accident a few years ago. And that was really shocking. You know, he moved out here, was living here, and, and you know, he was lane splitting and went down and got run over by a truck. Yeah. yeah. And no time to say anything. It's, mm-hmm. it's over. Yeah. You know, we've exchanged some emails, my father and I, and, and his whole worldview definitely changed after 9-11 as well. Um, I think we talked about this when we were talking with Jimmy Dore mm-hmm. about how some of the people um, after 9-11... We were talking with comedian Jimmy Dore about Dennis Miller and also my father because my father and Dennis Miller are very much alike. And it's the hair, right? It's the hair. And they uh, both went very conservative um, after 9-11. Whereas the more I find out, and, and your movie speaks to this too, um, and you weren't, willing, you weren't willing 
you wanted to be stay objective and then you were speaking with uh, the audience that I was a part of that night about that not wanting to tell us the answer as you saw it but yeah you have to uh, you have to arrive there yourself yeah or it's, it's a much stronger conclusion if you draw it can yourself you just, can you just bottom line it for us <laughs> <laughs> but there's kind of, but uh, some people go way conservative and then some people go way progressive which and I which I find accepting and finding out about evolution and the natural order of things and being becoming more of a skeptic I find that to be that path the progressive path left path uh, see I think that for me there's 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 a couple things there's there's like understanding that everybody's coming from things from a generally similar perspective no matter mm-hmm. what we're all people we all we all have the same um Engineering. I mean, we, we were all built to do the same things. We eat, we walk, we talk, we interact socially. I mean, uh, aside from the people on, on 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 the ends of the spectrum who have you know physical or mental defects that prevent them from participating in society to the same levels, you know, the super geniuses and the hyper morons, everybody in the in the middle that participates in most of human life do, do things for about the same reasons. Uh, that being said. So we all have a common ground. We all manage to split up into factions. And to me, it's like everybody has a right to exist. Not everybody has a right to fly planes into buildings. Uh-huh. You know, I mean, that I think is 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 that I think is the hardest thing to you know when when you're when you're trying to you know to to hold out an olive branch to all of humanity. Mm-hmm. You have to realize there are serial killers out there, and there are people with demagogues who will try and bully people or cajole people or brainwash people into doing crazy ass shit and those you know it's like you know the all these revolutions in the middle east now are you know putting putting people in their place for browbeating and you know cudgeling people into you know these situations for 40 years Gaddafi's been in power for 40 years Mubarak's been in power was in th- power for 30 years yeah. you know it's like running police states it's like ah there's, there's a generally an evolutionary explanation for why those people exist sure. and why they're allowed to do what they do in the past despotic rulers probably held the tribe together warlords and if the tribe grew large enough through their leadership they would survive yeah. And pass on their genes to against the tribe that did couldn't grow as large because maybe they didn't have as cohesive a leader, cohesive a, a belief system, mm-hmm. sure. and so those traits are passed on. So you know uh, they're successful. I think if well, you, for forty years, yeah. If you, if you look at human beings, that we I agree with you one hundred percent. We all basically have the same needs, but we do have differences. You know, and one example I give oftentimes for if you want to, why do people? Some people believe in religion, and some don't. Well, why do some people get addicted to nicotine and some don't? I think it's a genetic component, first of all, that some people from the first puff become addicted for life. Some people, they can have a cigarette and never care to have another. Most people are in that bell curve in the middle. Exactly. And it's the same as with religious belief. I think proclivity or or propensity for believing in uh, in the supernatural. Some people never will believe, buy into that mythology. And some people, from the very first exposure, they're they're hooked on it. And it's the same probably for most human traits – and I think if you compare Democrats or Republicans or progressives and conservatives, I think you're going to find think, genetic like differences between Wigs, them as Wigs well. And Tories. That's but it may have to do with empathy and the degree mm, of empathy yeah, that a person has for another human being. And on the far end of the spectrum, sociopaths have no yeah. empathy. I mean, I, I 
believe George Bush is probably close to a sociopath. I don't think he has any feelings for anybody that had bombs dropped on them in Iraq or wherever. And uh, whereas bleeding heart liberals are very empathetic and they feel someone else's pain very strongly. So they want to help others. And so... I think you find, and there, 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 there's scientific evidence now, they're finding evidence to show there is a difference in the brains mm-hmm. of yeah. conservatives versus liberals, you know, and the, in the long run, conservatives always lose in the long run because the only constant is change. You cannot keep things conservatively the same. Right. They will progress. Right. You know, and they they try to pull things back. We got to get back to the way things were, and they might pull things back for a little while, but then it leaps forward again. Right. It's like you know, think back to the dark ages when things were very dismal and bad, and what followed, you know, was the Renaissance. Things mm-hmm. continually leap forward at some point. Right. Finally, and like the gay rights issue, compare now to two hundred years ago or two thousand years ago. Well, maybe not two thousand because the Greeks, you know, yeah, say. Roman soldiers, <laughs> but uh, uh, or, yeah. But you know, different societies, of course, have uh, uh, different uh, or different stages mm-hmm. of uh, what we call different freedoms. But if in in the United States, look at the long term trends, not just what last year versus this year. And okay. the Tea Party, I think, is a reaction to progress. They're trying to pull things back, trying to go back to the way things were. It it does seem way more pronounced, or I don't know if it's just that I'm paying attention to it more because these issues are at the forefront of my own existential crisis right now. Um, yeah, that, that bell curve seems to be, there seems to me to be a lot less middle. But did you find that not to be true in your travels? Well, you know, it varies in different places in the world. And, you know, one of, there's another Rogers theories. You know, North America was primarily settled by the religious misfits of mm-hmm. Europe. Yeah, true. They came here with their religious genes and left them here and reproduced and depleted Europe of some of their religious genes, yeah. leaving a slightly less religious population. Mm-hmm. And so you have Scandinavia particularly, and Europe generally, that is far less religious than the United States, and very atheistic in Scandinavia, for instance. And so that bell curve tends to lean toward what the majority is doing. The herd will go in the direction of what the majority is doing. And it's atheism in Scandinavia. Here it's religion because the majority of the people are religious. And so it's more about community. People go along with religion because that's where their friends are. It's where people are who have to listen to them when, when they complain or bring them soup when they're sick. Not not really about – it's much less about God than it is about community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I think I think we we inherited that. I was I was just as I was toiling away at my shitty day job. I was thinking about the 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 uh, the, the 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 Protestant work ethic, you know, and the whole you know you have to work as many hours as it takes to get this job done and and all of that. And I, and I think we inherited that and the Puritanism of, of yes, you know, of our. Of our, our forebears, either either whether it's genetic or whether it's cultural, you know, it's like we got a lot of people who work themselves to death in this country, and they're dicks about it, <laughs> and I don't like it because I'm descended from people who are from from Ireland who <laughs> were starving in the potato famine and had to come to this country because there was nothing else. And we don't care one whit about it. That's why we're a bunch of lazy drunks. <laughs> Most of the Norwegians came here. About half the country left when they had a, a famine of their own. Yeah, just to come here to look for right, work. Right, right, right. See, that's the thing is, is the, I think the influx of the influx of uh, 
of you know post early colonial immigrants is is pretty much a story of you, you had all these crazy religious groups and even the cool religious groups were still crazy religious groups compared to the rest of you know continental and 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 and, and, and British Isles society you know, even like the the people who came here because they just wanted religious tolerance you know you have the Puritans who were all a bunch of whack jobs. But, but you know, even like the Quakers and people like that were just crazy, <laughs> you know, compared to like the Anglicans. It's like, oh, we just have the Church of England. Right. What's not much to it? <laughs> I was just actually reading an essay. Um, Fred Clark, he runs a blog called Slacktivist. And he was talking about how the Quakers came. Um, they landed on Plymouth Rock. Plymouth Rock landed on us. Sorry. Not the next flashback, um, <laughs> but that they their idea of religious freedom was the freedom to. This is Fred Clark's point of view: the freedom to have their version of religion, not necessarily that everybody else on this in this new world was certainly not the Native Americans. We're going to have the Quakers or the Puritans. Um, well, the, the, I think the essay was called like "Kicking the Quakers Out of Plymouth" or something like that. He well, the Puritans. The Puritans, I will say that absolutely is true. That their idea was, they wanted to practice their crazy, you know, fundamental fundamentalism by themselves without getting persecuted or thrown into the jails, <laughs> you know, or whatever. I mean, they moved they moved to Holland to get away from England. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, it sounds like it would probably be a lot better now, but you know, it's was well, so the problem is there's nowhere to move to anymore. We're stuck. We're out of land, and so we have right. to start getting along with each other. Right, right, right. And and one thing I learned in making this film is we're never all going to agree on the same belief no. system. It's, no, no. And f- things get more fractured, not less. Yeah. There's more factions of Christianity, not fewer, mm-hmm. every year. Right. So given that, our only hope is to allow others to believe things that are different from us and maybe try to understand them yeah. a little better. Well, that's I, I think that's absolutely true. I mean, it's it's... You need to. That, that's the thing. Is the the empathy? I think is the key. Is you know the only thing you need to be on guard for are and and you have to be on guard for this no matter what. When you walk through, you know, walk down a dark alley, you have to pay attention to what's going on. You know, and and there will be people who will want to do crazy things, you know, terrorists or thugs or whatever, you know, criminals. It doesn't matter who they are. You have to be on guard for that. You know, and but other than that, everybody do whatever the hell they want. Just leave me the hell alone if I want to do what I'm doing. Let's live and let live. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and uh, in the movie, I uh, ta- interviewed the uh, an expert on Confucius, and he I liked how he elaborated the Confucius version of the Golden Rule, which predated Jesus mm-hmm. by hundreds of years. It's the negative version. It's called the Silver Rule. Do not do to others what you would not want done to you, which is less invasive than do unto others, which is kind of like get into their face. Right, right. No, Julia Sweeney did a rewrite on that too, which I liked a lot. Where she said uh, she added a clause, an amendment to the Golden Rule, which was uh, "Do unto others as you would have them do unto you, but ask them first if it's okay." <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, but, well, that's—I mean, I—I—I I, I have my shield of apathy. I just really don't care if you come. Uh, my, my buddy Tom Farr was in the Marines, and he used to have this thing where he would sit down to his meal in in, in basic. And he would do his he would do his little area, and I'm 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 delineating like a like a like the area around the lunch tray, and anything that came into that area, you know, it was fair game. If you stuck your hand in there and he didn't like it, he could stab you with a fork or whatever. <laughs> but that was his area. That was his little space. And that's kind of what I have. It's like it's like 
I, I honestly, if you don't have a reason to come and mess with my stuff, don't mess with my stuff. This is my area and, and just leave me alone. Leave me be. You know, I don't care about your stuff, you know, as long as you're not infringing on my stuff. Don't care. Right. You know, and I think that peop- that that to me is the the one of the biggest faults I find with Christianity and, and kind of in toto is the proselytizing, proselytizing and That's just like problem. what is why what is your stake in my business? Mind your own business. You know, it's like go. Well, if they can I don't mind you, I, I don't mind. I don't even mind the proselytizing in in the actual factual sense of the hey I'm compelled to tell you about my religion as long as as long as the I'm not interested go along your merry way we can talk about anything else we can talk about the weather we can talk about sports we can talk about politics go away I, I'm not interested in your worldview or your philosophy as far as your religious, religious beliefs go if that okay that's okay but the moment that no no but I must tell you about it then we have a problem because it's my area. <laughs> Some of the religions compel them to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, proselytizing is the problem, I think. And if you accept the universe for what it is, your life will be much happier anyway than if you keep trying to mold it into some idealized version, especially if that version was written by cavemen thousands of years ago who thought that the, the you know if they didn't do the right thing, the sun wouldn't rise tomorrow. Yeah. And the earth was the center of the universe, and they were slightly misinformed about many things. Yeah. yeah, I think I think that's probably that's probably you know your 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 yeah 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 <laughs> understatement yeah a, a gross understatement. Um, I'm curious what you think about uh, the Ayn Rand objectivists, how they fit into all this because they're not religious by definition, unless well, you consider objectivism a religion. I mean, it's true that we are selfish for a reason. Selfishness is a is a uh, quality, a human quality. You know, you can't help someone else till you help yourself. That's why they tell you if the airplane is crashing and, and the oxygen comes down, put it on your own face first, not your child's. Help yourself first, otherwise you can't be of service to anyone else. So it's obviously evolutionarily adaptive to be selfish. Sure. And we have many other traits as well. And so the problem is you cannot focus on one human trait above all and say, we selfishness must rule you know it's it's one trait one mm-hmm. of many and it's going to be moderated or modified by other traits which is altruism mm-hmm. we have an altruistic inherent within us an altruistic sense that allows us to be um, altruistic with other beings who will remember and return the favor reciprocal altruism which religion calls morality but animals have reciprocal altruism you can see it in chimpanzees they remember when they trade favors you can see it in, in uh, insects. I mean, if they don't read, they don't have a Ten Commandments or any commandments except to survive and do what's necessary for their species to survive. So all these things, I mean, the, the evolutionary psychologists will advance the theory to you and provide evidence that all of our inherent uh, um, feelings and emotions and desires are evolutionarily advantageous, or at least not maladaptive. Right. And that that includes what we would call morality. Yeah, I think that's I I I, I agree with that. I agree with that. Yeah, if you're looking at it from from a purely engineering standpoint, <laughs> I mean, it has to be. I mean, it has to be if if that's the way the world works. And so far, I haven't seen any evidence that that's not how the world works. You can give lots of examples. You know, like if you mess with a beehive, the bees will sting you. 
even though they will die as a result of stinging you. But bees don't actually, bees only die when they sting think people with, or animals with tough hides. No. They lose their stinger. Yeah, if yeah, they're just not designed. If someone ever comes up with a bee that's designed, to, well, wasps or bees, they're they'll designed just bite to, you, and but they're poison. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Or well, wasps have because they're structurally different. They uh, they can just jab you the crap out of you, <laughs> keep jabbing you. That's why all wasps must die. Um, <laughs> and by wasps, you mean white Anglo-Saxon? Fox. Absolutely, <laughs> right? Absolutely. I want to ask you about some of your journeys um, without spoiling the movie too much because it's a great documentary that everybody everybody should see from everybody religion or non-religion um, if only to hate on it well it's, right. a, it's a it's a comparative religion treatise if you yeah. want to understand see what other people believe here's a an ex- here's a way to do it because most people are not going to have the opportunity to travel and go to all the source of all the belief systems on the planet and talk to representatives which is what I did and collected it for people so they would have an, at least a, a a, a, a chance to maybe whet their appetite for this information. You uh, visited some wrestlers in the South. Now, wrestling is huge in the South. Still, probably wrestling is huge there. in this in this house. In this apartment. <laughs> um, not as much anymore. I still find it very I, I, interesting. I honestly, you've probably talked about fifteen minutes. Well, I have a history about it. I, I know. I, I, I'm just I, telling you. I, I'm, I'm reality checking you here. You started out in uh, working in comedy. <laughs> I started out as a wrestling journalist. I wrote. Um, I, I wrote for wrestling organizations, so it's a big part of my history. Um, and so wrestling's big in the south, and religion is big in the south. And you find this great intersection of, of this Christian wrestling organization. And it's not just... Now, there are a few Christian wrestling organizations. There's a few wrestling ministries. You found one that actually reenacts the crucifixion. Yeah, well, it's just, called Ultimate Christian oh. Wrestling. And they do... They put out, Here's what they do, just in brief. They will go to a church about every other weekend, somewhere in the south, and set up the wrestling ring. And it's free, free admission. They put up signs, free wrestling show at the church. So they come to the church in the big rec center, whatever they've got. They do maybe five or six or seven bouts. Usually they start with the battle royale, you know, where everyone goes in the ring and the last man standing wins. Then they have individual fights, and it's always good versus evil. There's the good guy wrestler and the bad guy wrestler. Another reason why it fits well with religion, good sure. versus evil. Mm-hmm. The Faces final... Satan's the ultimate human. <laughs> the final battle is between their main good guy and the main bad guy. And in the, the one that I saw, because they write a different passion play for every performance. They take a story out of the Bible. The one I saw, the main good guy gets beaten by the main bad guy because he hits him over the head with a folding chair. I was going to say, if a folding chair does Classic. not, <laughs> in, is not involved here, I'm, I'm checking out. So the bad guy knocks him to the ground. The referee takes the folding chair away. So so the bad guy punches the referee. And then the lights go out just before he's about to deliver the final coup de grace to no, the good guy. What happens? The lights go out. There's a little delay. And then these red lights come on. And then the good guy, wrestler, has been replaced by Jesus Christ. And the bad guy sees suddenly Jesus is here and the Romans are here. And they take Jesus and they start whipping him. And they reenact, you know, the uh, whipping of Jesus Christ. And uh, the bad guy, wrestler, says, oh, I'm so sorry, God, please forgive me. And, and he, you know, asks for absolution. After that, then the lights come on and the main good guy comes back and he delivers a sermon to everybody and asks people to come down and accept Christ, you know, in their lives and people come down. Dude, I'm ready now. <laughs> it's very uh, emotional. 
and touching for the people there and it's it's a successful thing it brings people into church so it, it, it as a as a concept it succeeds for what their goal is yeah it's just the most bizarre thing i've heard since hell house you know um because even though i think even hell house makes more sense to me in a lot of ways i mean it's you know i mean it, it, for the, the wrestling the, the wrestling for the uninitiated listener it's it's yeah. a haunted house but with a christian, christian theme christian. so the the horrors are sins of the world look at this homosexuality and abortion right boo right <laughs> aren't they scary and at the end but there's just pastors waiting for you fall. much like at the wrestling uh event there's pastors waiting for you to right. talk to you about it right, right, right. so but i'm sorry junior no i just i, I just it's just the, the wrestling part i mean i get the it makes sense to me having heard of it, you know, all, all, all told. But, but I just wow, where do you, where do you come up with that? You got to see it. You got to see it to believe it. It's no, it makes it, when 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 you said that the 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 that uh, the bad guy repents, then it makes sense to me. Then it makes sense to me. Yeah. Um, but but uh, the audience gets into it, you know, booing oh, sure. and cheering. Oh, it's wrestling. Yeah. <laughs> how, how do you not? <laughs> Now th- this was just in America. Uh, the documentary. Uh, you're, you're How many countries did you visit? Seven, I think. Seven. And by the way, if you want to see this segment on the Christian wrestlers, I, I excerpted that, and put it on our website at thenatureofexistence.com. There's also a, a Christian drag racers segment that's equally as entertaining, I think. Nice. Very cool. Both on the website. That's an outtake. That didn't make the final cut of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, in your journeys, uh, everything from seeking an audience with the Pope to seeking an audience with gurus, um, going into China, um, where there are some restrictions that... Yeah, it's illegal to do any interviews there without government approval in advance. Right, right. So I was there as, as a tourist with no right. approval. Right. Was that where you were the most nervous as far as... Yeah, initially, because you know, I didn't want to get thrown in jail in China. Yeah, but um, you've seen that Richard Gere movie, haven't you? <laughs> or a Midnight Express. Midnight <laughs> Express. Um, but I, if you do tell them in advance, you may not get a visa. And if you, yeah. if they do grant your visa, then you have to hire a, a censor and a minder to be with you for the whole time, and who may tell you you can or can't do things. And I don't like being told what to do. I grew up not liking being told what to do <laughs> I, might, I think we might we might describe that as the antithesis of America <laughs> China but ironically I didn't get hassled once in China whereas I get hassled all the time in the United States what are you doing with that camera you can't film here yeah constantly and, but I attribute that to the prevalence of reality shows because yeah, yeah, yeah. camera now equals humiliation in YouTube yeah. Yeah, here yeah, totally. whereas China they don't have that yet. Or they assume that if you have a camera, you must have permission. (laughs) You couldn't possibly be filming something without permission. (laughs) Yeah. Huh. I think that's interesting. The uh, guru, is his name Ravi Shankar? Shri Shri Ravi Shankar. Um, Even when we watched the film at CFI, at Steve Allen Theater, there was a audience member gushing about how touched she was by his presence his energy yeah. did you now you said at the time well yeah that's what he does that's his shtick um did you feel that too when you met him it's his product that he sells is he's got charisma like tony robbins and but his charisma is based on connecting with you you know it's like what they say about bill clinton he makes you feel like you're the only person in the room for 30 seconds or however long you have with him right he gives you his full attention 
And Ravi Shankar, when you visit him, will give you your full his full attention and give you unconditional acceptance, which people are starved for. Mm-hmm. Wow. And then he sells you his meditation package. I'm going to make a note. <laughs> and that was my secret as a filmmaker, was to go places with my camera and give someone unconditional acceptance and attention yeah. and listen to what they have to say. Ask them genuinely why they believe or what they think and then listen to them. And they open up like a flower. What's, the, what's the old saw? Uh, sincerity, once you can fake that, get it made. Yeah. <laughs> fake it till you make it. That's what the car salesmen say. Right, yes. right. <laughs> people generally can't tell the difference between confidence oh, yeah, yeah. and pretend confidence. And you know, as a comedian, yeah, right? Absolutely. You go on stage yeah. and you act like you're, di- you're, you're dying, you're, you, people think you're bombing. If you okay. act like you're killing, you're killing. This literally, the other day, I, I, uh, TiVo grabbed the 8th annual HBO Young Comedian Specials, taped in like 83 had Bill Maher, young Bill Maher, um, Paul Poundstone. Yeah, I've seen that um, special. Uh, the was, amazing John. The guys Fitt. I worked for produced that show. The okay, okay. John Candy emceed it. Ate it. John Candy, John Candy. SCTV, he, I mean, at uh, 80, 82, 83. So, mm-hmm. so SCTV, top of his game, done Blues Brothers like a couple years before. John friggin' Candy. Ate it. Worst. Absolutely knew he was sucking. He got up and basically said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm an improv guy. I'm not, not really a stand-up comic. And sucked. <laughs> Boom. Just, I mean. just Don't Never pre-apologize, first yeah. of all. Rolled it up. I mean, he yeah. was funny. I mean, he's John, you know, he's John Candy, but, but uh, definitely out of his element. And well, he told people how to interpret what he's doing as failure. Absolutely. And, um, but it was, it was kind of comforting. I found it very strangely comforting as someone who's gone up, you know, on stage and, you know, it's it's it is true. It's what, well, look at Dane Cook. Doing. I'm waiting for a punchline, but he acts like he's the funniest thing ever, and so the audience re- responds to that. Yeah, energy is going out. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, you know, I I remember listening to his first album, and not bad. Nothing, nothing. You know, nothing right home. Nothing, nothing that he should be selling out Madison Square Garden for. You know, it's like. He's not a Richard Pryor. He's not a George Carlin. He's not a Louis C.K. He's not, you know, I mean... Stephen Wright. He's not Stephen Wright. Yeah. One of the greatest punchline yeah. writers, maybe yeah, yeah, the yeah. greatest. Yeah, yeah. But his energy was low. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it connects with a different audience, yeah. a much smaller audience. Yeah. Yeah. And Mitch Hedberg years later. But I think Mitch Hedberg had more mm, grungy cred, I think. But even still, yeah, I, I mean, if he's still around, I don't know if he'd be, you know... Dan Cook's had what three or four starring movie vehicles they gave him, <laughs> you know, uh, whatever. <laughs> but I, I, we're not here to shit on Dan Cook. No, we're not. We'll leave that for my specialty <laughs> podcast. Right, right. No, actually, I don't have any. I, I because I know how hard it is to you know. I know how hard it is to get people to chose. No, I'm and admiring his energy. Oh, absolutely. He no, sells no, no. what he sells, like Sri Sri Ravi Shankar. It's he's not, and, and it's not that he's not funny. It's just that he doesn't. You know, his that brand of humor is not what I find. I don't laugh at. Right. I, I can, but I can definitely go. Oh, all right. Yeah. And yeah, all the other stuff aside about him, he right. he's, does some admirable things. Well, that and that it brings to mind from your movie. Um, I mean, comedy is subjective a lot of the time, um, but there's some universal truths to comedy as mm-hmm. far as people getting hit in the nuts always funny. <laughs> surprise! You want to be surprised, right? And getting hit in the nuts, big surprise. Yeah, man hurt, funny. <laughs> man fall down, funny. With, with the, the the splintering of these religions, um, people subjectively taking what they want um, 
I was curious your views on that. There's a lot of people who you spoke to who said, yes, I know mine is the fundamental truth. Yeah, they're, and, they, and they're taking a particular version. They call it cafeteria religion, where they just take the pieces of the religion they like. But in doing that, that the implication is that they know better than God what God meant. I, I've said for a very long time, way before 9-11, that um, you know, the, the Muslims have it right. It's like, if you're not reading the, you know, the, the Quran in Arabic and whatever, you know, uh, you know Mohammedan era Arabic, you're, you risk the, the chance of, of misinterpreting God's literal translated word. And I think that takes some, you know, stones. That really takes some stones. And it's like, yeah, everything else is a bastardization and that's blasphemy. And that makes a lot of sense to me, even though it's it's kind of still nonsensical at its core. But at least they're saying, look, God talked to this guy. This guy wrote it down literally. You need to treat that like the literal word of God because it is, you know. And, and to change it or adulterate it makes it not the literal word of God. Yeah, they take the pieces that make them feel better in their life. Makes their life feel a little bit better. Yeah. Did the the cat and I might be you can correct me if I'm wrong here. I'm, I'm thinking of either some of the Catholic priests you spoke to, or it might have been some of the Anglican. There's Anglican there Church a couple of Anglicans, yeah. Um, seeming like pretty cool, like well, are you expect, and and seeming less dogmatic than some Catholics here in the United States. Um, were you surprised by that? Yeah, well, they're Protestants, the, the Anglicans. <laughs> they're essentially Episcopalians. Sure, sure. You know, that's what the Which version of Anglicans, yeah. Very liberal version of Catholicism. And it, but still, it was kind of interesting how they were willing to question everything. And I did a follow-up series to the movie called it's The Nature of Existence, the Companion series, and those two guys, the Anglicans, feature in there quite a bit because they were really willing to dissect their beliefs, which surprised me. One of them admitted that he, for a time he lost his faith after his son died, but he couldn't t- tell his congregation because hmm. they they weren't couldn't handle a priest who or a minister who was having doubts. Mm-hmm. They want him to be the rock. Sure, sure. So he had to lie to them in order to give them what they needed, and he found that very difficult. One would hope as a as a man of the cloth lying to his flock would be difficult. <laughs> as well as a, yeah, I just I faked it for a while. But <laughs> things worked out. They wouldn't let him be honest because they couldn't yeah. handle it. Yeah. Right, yeah. right. Is there you know, you'd think that they'd have like a place there where they would send those priests, you know. But, you know, but I you know, an administrative timeout. <laughs> Las Vegas, I think. Vegas. The 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 <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. The, the congregation um, that started with LGBT, uh, especially, uh, specifically, I remember the lesbian woman. Oh, the church in the, the gay megachurch in Dallas, Texas. Yeah, that it's was called the Cathedral of Hope. Okay. Uh, Reverend Joe Hudson is the lesbian uh, pastor. Okay. Is that, which church was that offshoot? Well, okay. they're not. I mean, they are their own thing because no one will now they're, with yes, them. Yes. But she was but, finding, struggling within, I, I couldn't. She was, a, I forget where she started, maybe Methodist or something. Okay, okay. Some Southern, you know, version. Yeah. So, but it's it's a non-denominational at this point. It just, anyone's welcome. Mm-hmm. They try to offer what the churches that they were disappointed with wouldn't offer, which is open arms to anyone who wished to attend. So their entire congregation is not gay. You know, the large percentage, 85% or something, 
But there's 15% who are straight people who just like the open-armed, yeah. the open-minded aspect. 15% are bi-curious. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. We, yeah. we take all kinds here, gay, bi-curious. <laughs> it, it was amazing to me that it, you, know, you definitely did not go to make... Um, didn't make anybody look bad. Weren't seeking to look anybody make anybody look bad. And well, some can do that without any help. True, true. You know, my analogy is it, it started with Trekkies. You know, I, I hand them a piece of rope, and they either tie a nice bow or they hang yes, themselves. Yes, I let, I, It's up to them. Here's the soapbox. What do you think? And they tell you. Which brings me to I'm sure who you get asked about the most. Um, not Aha, though I do want to ask about Aha, <laughs> um, the Guru Aha. But uh, really quickly, uh, your friend uh, Reverend Jed Smock. Oh, yeah, the confrontational evangelist. Yeah, if anybody uh, has ever been to college, there's a chance you've seen him preaching. He's one of these fire and brimstone preachers who come out when uh, when the students are out on the, whatever the main square of the college is and start preaching, you're all going to go to hell for listening to rock music or drinking beer, fornicators, etc. Vagina liquors. We'll go to hell lickety split. <laughs> That's his phrase. Hmm. Yeah, and... He, I saw, when I was in college, he was preaching at the University of Minnesota. I shot my first documentary of him. Oh. His group was called The Destroyers. He was there with two others, a woman who later became his wife, Cindy, Sister Cindy. Sister Cindy! <laughs> so that's on the DVD. It's one of the bonus materials. Is the my first documentary that I shot in the 80s of Brother Jed. I, when I was making this film... I thought, I wonder if he's still preaching. And tracked him down via his website. It turns out 20 years later, he's still going at it. So I spent a couple weeks with him and um, got to know him and his family. He now is married to Cindy, and they have five daughters. And they uh, all preach. They all have their routines. Right now, he's on the trail. He's, he's preaching, I think, in Arizona with uh, one of his daughters. That's the place for it. Being from Phoenix, I can tell He'll you. He'll be here at UCLA uh, in a couple weeks. Oh. Or a week or so. If you want to go see him in person. Put on the website. I think we should. Yeah. I don't need to. <laughs> it's it's a good show. I'm yeah. serious. And see, there are some people that, honestly, you need to build a time machine and send them back to the Great Awakening. Because they really <laughs> need to be, like, you know, doing tent revivals in, like, you know, the Ohio Territory in, like, 1824. <laughs> you know? <laughs> For like groups of bewildered Indians and like people like hacking cabins out of the wilderness. <laughs> <laughs> but he, I mean, he does not seem like a complete monster like Fred Phelps. I mean, he definitely says things that all of us at this table disagree with, but... Well, vagina leakers are going to hell. <laughs> well, then where do you want to end up, right? <laughs> I'm a... Do you want to end up where all the evangelists are? Precisely, it's the little Mark Twain thing. People, people who've never sung or had no inclination playing harps it's a, it would be a cacophony. <laughs> I paraphrase, I think. But like you seem, you've, you've had some good times with the Reverend oh, Jed. I got to know him, yes. And as detestable as people find some of his performance when he's preaching, if you get to know him, he's not a bad guy. He's all right. I just, I am immune to the meme that he's selling. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I don't take any offense to what he says, whereas you, you watch students getting furious with yeah. him, and they'll attack him. He's been he's had he's had an arm broken. He's been clawed. He's been thrown in physically attacked. Yeah, yeah, by people. Somebody just stole his staff. We had a, a staff with a cross on top, mm -hmm. and it was in his newsletter. Some kid grabbed it and ran off with him. 
with it. Yeah. You know, which was, would it be a crozier? It'd be a crozier. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I get angry at that kind of thing, but I get angry at, at anything that infringes on my enjoyment of not being yelled at. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. it doesn't matter whether you know. I get mad at the, I get mad at the thumping bass in the car. I get mad at. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, we've just, at, a, at, a, at an opportune barbershop quartet. I would get mad at. We've established that you're Ron Swanson of Parks and Rec. <laughs> <laughs> He's a, yeah, I kind of, and the more I watch that show, the more I'm like, that's that's Gene right there. <laughs> Well, the best comedian has to be kind of uh, incensed about things, right? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Tell the world about these things. Yeah, getting up on walls. Who is it? Uh, I think it's Pat Oswalt when he got married, um, fell in love with his wife, was talking about that, where it's like, ever notice how someone is like, a, the person you love is like a cupcake filled with puppies or something like that. <laughs> you know, it's like, that doesn't sell. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that is a common you know, comedy it's scene. It's definitely, I'm, since I've been happily married and been with uh, Megan for the last five years, it's definitely cut into my songwriting. It's, it's very there hard. There are studies. This book I'm reading right now, Why Do Beautiful People Have More Daughters? They yeah. talk about how, what does Bill Gates have in common with uh, criminals? Both of them stopped doing their best work once they got married. Yeah. Because marriage reduces the motivation for why we strive to succeed. Mm. It's all about reproduction. So before you're married, what you do, you do what you do. Write songs, make movies, write poetry, um, kill people, you know, (laughs) hurt people. Whatever it is, it's to try to get women. Right. Once you're married, that it, it it removes that motivation, and you're still a creative entity. Yeah. But you're not as strongly motivated anymore. Yeah. As you it's, used to it's, be. it's it's motivation and, and and scientists finding that time. Yeah. Yeah. They do their best work in their younger years before they're married. Right. 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 I'm going to return to that before we uh, return to that really quickly. Uh, the guru, or like what I like to call the fucking guru, uh-huh. the, the potty mouth guru. Yes. What What is the deal with aha? <laughs> His real name, I think, is Chris Walensky, uh, but he calls himself Aha, Guru Aha. No, the Divine Guru Aha, mm-hmm. I believe. And you can Google him and find him. He's got a website. He was doing his thing when I went to interview a different guru named Satyan Raja at something called the Illumination Intensive that Satyan does on weekends where he gets people together for a whole weekend. And they, strangers, they stare at each other for, they sit in chairs facing each other and stare into each other's eyes for hours and hours with no talking. That sounds awful. <laughs> that sounds like the worst thing I would ever do. <laughs> That's what people do. And then Holy crap. It, well, it creates a brain state where, sort of like hypnosis, uh-huh. where they feel a, a breakthrough, uh-huh. a transcendence. Sure. So there's a payoff for some, not all, but some. Anyway, AHA was also at this seminar and Satyan said, hey, you might want to interview my associate. So I did, and he, aha, turned out to be fantastic, as you saw, because yeah. he's so unexpected. He's uh, a little bit ambiguous in terms of gender. Yes. Which many gurus are. You, you know, you find the Native Americans. The two-spirited. They select their two-spirited, which means they've got the spirit of male and female in one body, or, or they're gay, basically, to be their spiritual leaders. They give them a position of importance. Or at least they used to until the Christians came and taught them that they should feel ashamed for being normal or natural or whatever they are. Well, they should. Right. You shouldn't, I mean, you should never be happy or pleasure. If you feel pleasure, you should feel immediate guilt. That's got to be wrong. Right. As Padre Pio said, one of the uh, priests that I profiled in the movie, he believed that love and suffering were synonyms. They were the same thing. Well, it's easy to get Johnny Cash fan. (laughs) 
Did you speak to... Um, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm remembering this from... I'm editing this part out later. Uh, <laughs> as I stumble. Um, did you interview somebody from the Church of Satan at all, or am I thinking... Yes. You? Okay. I interviewed... I also interviewed the uh, head magis... That's right. ...of the Satanists... That's right. Um, ...named Peter Gilmore. He replaced Anton LaVey when Anton LaVey died. And I... Like most interviews, it was just kind of random. I was reading in City Pages about this guy's coming to do a black mass at the Steve Allen Theater. Yeah. <laughs> and it was for Satanists only on 6606. This is back in 2006. So I sent him an email and said, hey, I'd love to interview you for this movie I'm doing about the nature of existence. I'd like to ask you these existential questions if you, you, know, if you have time while you're here in Los Angeles. And he wrote back and said, uh, oh, man, I love Trekkies. Yeah, sure. <laughs> That's awesome. So he sat down for an interview, and everybody in the movie, or almost everybody, I interviewed using natural light, daylight, because I couldn't afford to carry lights with me. Sure. Number yeah. one. And number two, daylight looks best. Sure. He was one of the few that would not come out into the light, and so I had to bring lights. I had to actually light his interview in a little dark area, <laughs> a dark dungeon-like area. But Satanists are essentially atheists who are hedonists. They do not believe in God or the devil. They just adopted Satan as their mascot. Right. Right, right. He sort of like represents the nice. one who stood up to authority. Right, right, right. And they, they see that as a heroic thing. And they take those human pleasures and turn them into virtues, not sins. Yes. From what I understand. Correct. So that's what made me think of that. Now, we talked a, a lot about the Steve Allen Theater because that's where I met you and saw the film. And um, did, how did you uh, have they? I was curious about the Center for Inquiry and, and how they've helped out as far as being supportive of the film. Now, obviously, you're plugged into um, the skeptic community because that's Center for Inquiry, what they do. Yes. Um, they inquire. I've been screening at CFIs around the country. And the way I do it is I, I do a Q&A afterward by Skype. They call me up and put me on a screen and people ask questions oh, on a microphone. Cool. And then we can have an exchange after the movie. I've got one uh, tomorrow and next week and lots of them. So this is the hometown CFI. And so we arranged to do a screening there and uh, had standing room only crowd. I was uh, surprised how many people turned up. Yeah, But the uh, word... It, it's easier now to spread the word through the internet because there are so many groups, meetup groups, skeptic groups, and mm -hmm. uh, free thinker groups, uh, etc., who are open to new information. The only problem I have with, like, personally and with the film is people who are closed, who say, I've already got the truth with a capital T. I don't need any new information. Then it's like, okay, they can't be influenced or in their own mind. They're going to spend the rest of their life defending this truth mm -hmm. from new information, which is going to be perceived as a threat. That takes a lot of energy to spend your life yeah. defending something. And if, if, that, if that truth is so strong, why does it need so much defense? Why can't it stand up to challenge? Because I think defense is part of that. You know, I think if you're defending something, it gives you, you know, power. A reason? Yeah, a reason, a reason. Yeah. I think I think that's, you know, especially, and I think that's why, and I don't want to use the word insidious, even though uh, I, 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 I think it has the wrong connotation, but I think it's appropriate. Um, that's why I think the you know, fundamentalist Christianity is insidious. It's because it sets itself up from beginning to end as this closed thing. And if people bash you for it, they're going to do that. And that's when you have to be strongest. And, you know, yeah, it's like, it's, it's going to happen. And, 
you know, that to me is, is you know. They criticize Jesus. Pernicious. Pernicious, I think, is a, is a good word for it, too. Yeah. Jesus had to, had to confront people. That's what Brother Judd says. Jesus was a confrontational evangelist. Yeah. So he sees himself was as he? Jesus-like. Was he? I don't if, think if he, he was existed. that confrontational. <laughs> I think he got right, pissed off. The version that we all know of him. He got, he got, he got, he got pissed off at the moneylenders in the temple. But and, I think and a, he had a fig tree. He <laughs> a fig tree. He smoked a fig tree. But I, I, I just I don't recall. He was being, criticized. Being aggro. Well, being criticized is different, but being confrontational. He did get mad many times. He advocated cutting your slave up into pieces if they didn't obey. Well, who wouldn't? True. That just makes sense. That's just good business. <laughs> oh sense. goodness! But you can ignore that part, I guess, and just take the nice, fluffy parts. Right, right, right. So, in taking this film around the country, and I mean, I see here, you know, uh, you know, a lot of film festivals, film festivals, yeah. And and you know, Kevin Smith is taking his latest film around, mm-hmm. taking on tour, and and this is different um, from. It's not that different from the model for. How they used to do it. I mean, some it's of these called bicycling your movie from one city to the next. You make two prints or one print, and yeah, do one city yeah. at a time. Crispin Glover does it, um, and they used to do it a lot more in the, Matt Nay, the yeah. John Goodman film. Yeah, yeah. Matt Nay. It's based around that entire. Yeah. So how are you finding it's that? Screening uh, in May at the Free Thought Film Festival, the first annual in Tampa, Florida. How much is like it cost? It's not free. Nothing's free. <laughs> <laughs> Freedom is not free. So is is that? Is, is that the future of film slash the return to the, the old model? It's one future. I mean, you've got these gigantic corporate distribution companies now. And if you if they don't pick up your film, what are you going to do? Stuff it around. Yeah, you have no choice. But the beauty is that because of the internet, you cannot be stopped from being heard anymore. Yeah. And as witnessed in Egypt or, you know, in right. Iran, Iran, you know, in places around the world where they're fighting that, they're trying to beat back the ocean... But it's temporary. It's coming. That wave is coming. Yeah. And or it's going to get shut down. <laughs> yeah. yeah or, it'd be pretty hard to take it away at this point. I don't yeah. know. Flipping, I mean, flipping the switch on, on the, 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 the big pipes that leave and enter the U.S., you, you could effectively cut off communication with the rest of the world. Except for satellites. It's going away. Well, we, need our, we need our own individual satellites at some point. Right, yeah. right, right. Yeah. Pocket um, rockets. <laughs> Your, uh, how much can you tell us about your next project about marriage? I've written the questions. I've done a couple of test interviews, which went great. And that's how I know if I'm onto something. I do some interviews and see how it goes. And as soon as I finish uh, giving birth to this, this film, The Nature of Existence, I'm going to shift gears and start on the next one because making documentaries is it, it's addicting. It's yeah. addictive. And uh, I'm incorrigible now. <laughs> it's hard to stop. Do you, do you see yourself um, returning to the uh, narrative, the fiction? Oh, sure. Yeah, I like alternating because uh, each each genre informs the other. I bring <laughs> ideas back and forth. So, yeah, I'm also writing as well as I work in television, directing and editing and That's commercials. Right. wanted to talk about some of those, um, some, some of what you've done. Uh, you have directed episodes of The Office. You had done uh, the Bernie Mac show. Mm-hmm. You were very involved with uh, Mind of the Married Man on HBO, which aired a few years back. Yeah, two seasons, ten yeah. episodes, were you or just, 20 episodes. Were you, as being involved in that show, what were you feeling? I, I felt like that was a show that only got a moment, you know? HBO usually has these long-running series, and that was one that 
seemed to have some good steam behind it. Got two seasons, yeah. At the end of the second season, the, sh- the show was not getting the rave reviews equivalent to the sh- other shows they had on, like The Sopranos mm-hmm. at the time. It got it got good reviews, and so people loved it or hated it. So it got both. It yeah, got, it got yeah. mixed. And, and the reason is, it was, I felt, very truthful. And truth hurts. And some <laughs> people would say, you know what? I, ex- I experienced this at home with my husband. Why do I want to watch it? Right. And then some husbands, men, who had to watch it secretly without their wives around. Because <laughs> their wives would go, you don't do that, do you, honey? Oh, no, no, of course not. That's not like me at all, you know? Yeah. I remember that being one of the first shows to talk about... Um, what goes on in massage parlors? Am I remembering that yes, correctly? Yes, yeah. Hap- yeah. It introduced wait a minute, wait to a minute. the lexicon the 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 word uh, happy ending. The yeah. word the, the phrase happy ending. Unless you've been hanging around massage parlors a long time. Exactly. <laughs> Which <laughs> neither of us. Have. No, 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 of course not. I can't speak for. I have never been to a massage. Of course not. I literally. Oh, I know. I have. You're I've, in call only. <laughs> I, mean, I, I have been to a brothel, but I've never been to a massage parlor. And you don't pay money; you pay in <clears throat> roses, right? Is that what it is? Yeah. Um, the you can give a woman roses. There's nothing illegal about <laughs> that's that. That's right. I have had a massage. You can but buy a woman dinner. That's true. That's not prostitution. If she sleeps with you, if you buy her dinner, right? That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Score. You also um, a, a, another show that a lot of I think our listeners and um, we we promote a lot on um, the comedy community at specialthing.com. So I know they'll be interested in this. You have worked on the league. I did, yeah. Well, it's the same producer, one of the producers from Curb Your Enthusiasm, um, uh, works, uh, created the league and asked me if I would edit a couple episodes. So I edited one and a half last season before. The only reason I could only do it one and a half is because then Curb Your Enthusiasm started. And so I switched gears and moved over to Curb, which I'm working on season eight, Curb Your Enthusiasm. Jeff Schaefer is the creator of the league. He's also one of the writer-producers on Curb. Yeah. I've heard great things about the league. I said I still need to. That's one of those things because it's two seasons now. I'm like, okay, I need to see it. Catch up, you know, start from the it's, beginning. You don't want to hear. This is my my capsule review. If you like any of the principles on there, you're going to like the show. I cannot stand the idea of fantasy football. I cannot stand <laughs> the idea of. I can barely stand sports when I'm playing them. <laughs> I, I love games and things like that. I've been in a fantasy baseball league once. I literally picked the dudes that I thought had the coolest names, came in second, got my, like, 25 bucks, and walked away. <laughs> You're like the monkey throwing darts at a dartboard <laughs> at Wall Street. But the best part is that everybody was like, I want to get, let's do these complicated trades. And I'm like, no. <laughs> I just, like, I was totally the brick in the middle of everybody. Everybody hated me. And then I got came in second. I didn't pay any attention to it. Didn't go to any of the meetings That's or whatever. Funny. Yeah, but but um, if you like, uh, you know, the, the Paul Shear or the Nick Kroll, yeah, it's, it's it's like. And from what I understand, much like Friday Night Lights, you don't have to be a football or college football no. fan. You can yes, just it's it's dig it's, this. it's it's secondary. I mean, I started watching it because of the folks involved, and um, and. and I stayed for the folks involved. If you want to look for my episode, the one I did in its entirety, it's called Brolo El Cunado. And I thought it was really funny. It's a good yeah, episode. Yeah. If you want, if you want to start somewhere, start with that. Start one. with that one. Sounds good. <laughs> there, have been, there have been a couple projects of, of sort of the people in that orbit um, that have been things that I don't care a lick about, but they're fun. But because um, uh, what was that? Uh, um, Matt Walsh and uh, um, what's his name? Ian Roberts did that thing on Spike TV about the sports bar. 
That was another one. Oh, yeah, players. Players, yeah. 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 Which was funny. And and I could not care less about... Sports bars? Sports, that whole... And it's sitting in Arizona, too. Oh, that's right. Haters of it. I think it's based on the sports bar. I don't know if either of you have been to the improv in Tempe. Tempe. I think there's like a sports bar right in the same area. Probably. In the parking lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I like your formula for winning the... uh, the fantasy football. Mm-hmm. I have a similar formula for the Oscars. Yeah. Which is to win the Oscar pool, mm-hmm. you just have to look for the people who have the fewest enemies in each category. <laughs> so it's usually the youngest person, yeah. the newest thespian or the newest yeah, person, yeah, yeah. or the most famous, because then if they're the most famous, they've got the most fans and followers. Right, 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 right. right. Yeah. Go with those routines and you'll generally do that's, it right. Yeah, that's pretty good. Is that, that, does that explain the Marissa Tomei win? Or my cousin Vinny? She was new, pretty new, wasn't she? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's what I'm right. And remember Hang S. Noor, for instance, mm-hmm. uh, in Killing Fields? Well, you could not give it to the dude that was actually in Cambodia. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> you, you really couldn't. That would be like, that would be like you know, like Meryl Streep had actually been in a concentration camp. Because yeah. so far outside of Hollywood, there's no way you could anyone could hate him yet. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think but did he get shot? Did he, he did get killed in yes. his home country, I, mean, I could think. Well, I think he got killed here. Oh, it was here? Okay. Yeah, yeah. okay. Um, Which, if, he was a, if he'd become a naturalized citizen, would be a hook. Just remember that the Oscars is a popularity contest. It it's not about merit. Oh, God. So, just who is the most popular person here with the f- meaning fewest enemies? Right, and right, you'll right. have a yeah. good shot of winning the pool. Yeah. We'll have to see how that plays out. I, this is one of the. Didn't we go over the Oscar nominees? We went over the Oscar noms, and I, I realized I'd seen two of the movies this year. Yeah. I'd seen like True Grit and. and Winter's Bone is my favorite. I still need to see that. The Social Network. I've seen this. Yeah, I've seen this. Uh, well, we get screeners, so I. The but, Fighter and Winter's Bone was great. Yeah, I like True Grit, but I, you know, I like True Grit. Mm-hmm. The book is awesome. So there you go. Still Spe- Speaking of adapt- adaptations, um, I'm curious if uh, if this was just an offhand comment or something you've seriously pursued, and that's um, adapting Larry Niven. Oh, oh yeah. a huge fan of Larry Niven. Yeah, and that's one reason I went to interview him because I've read all his books. And uh, if I was, yeah, if I got to pick, someone said, "Okay, Magic Genie, which author would you like to have all the rights to their books?" Which, which, but which book <laughs> or story? Oh, I mean, it's like, who's your favorite child? Yeah, yeah. No, I, that's that's the question. I, yeah, no, because I'm a, I'm a huge Niven fan. I'm a huge Niven fan, um, and I'm even a Niven Pornell fan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Me too. Yeah, I think they're a great combo, yeah, yeah. A great yeah. team. They work. They work well together. Um, and have for years. Um, now, as someone who has not read Niven, can both of you, between but, the two of you, explain but As me? much as I love Niven, you know who my favorite sci-fi author is? And I wish I could have interviewed him, but he's dead now, is A.E. Van Vogt. Oh, okay. yeah. If you've okay. read his mm-hmm. work. Mm-hmm. Just great. And if you read, here's the book to read, if you haven't. Voyage of the Space Beagle. Mm-hmm. Because it is where Star Trek came from, basically ripped off from, and Aliens ripped off from that you'll see so many things that came yeah. from that one book it's such a great read too. Right. I, see I was going to guess I thought you were going to say Douglas Adams well yeah yeah, he's awesome yeah. but Douglas but, Adams uh, Douglas Adams I think is, is, is science fiction in an ancillary sense okay in a okay. tongue in cheek way humorous right. but he did you know life universe and everything nature existence right right seems like it would have been a good fit if he were still Van Vogt is the man A.E. Van Vogt yeah The Weapons Shop of Isher it's another one Slan uh, the world of Null A. Yeah. But start with the Voyage of the Space Beagle. And maybe uh-huh. I have a special place in my heart for that book because that was probably the first sci-fi book I ever read. 
you know, a couple of years after my, my dad died, I went, I was looking through all his books. He was a huge sci-fi reader. And that was the book I picked up, turned to the middle and just started reading. Cut to two hours later, I hadn't moved. I got to the end of the book, went back to the beginning mm-hmm. and started reading all the way to the end again. Yeah. Such a great read. Huh. Yeah, I'm trying to think of uh, what I really, I mean, I think growing up, I read a lot of Heinlein and um, and I read Niven and Pornell and I read a lot of Pornell and because I was kind of an a hole. <laughs> Greg Bear, do you read Greg Bear? You know, I never really got into Greg Bear. Like my my ex girlfriend was like a, like a big um, um, like she she's a real sci fi nerd. I mean, she was like going to conventions with her dad and stuff like that. Sci fi nerd. Um, me, I was just kind of like sci fi nerd adjacent. David Brin. Ursula Le Guin. Ursula Le Guin. Ursula Le Guin. Theodore Sturgeon. Ted Sturgeon. Um, you you talked to Orson Scott Card for the film. Uh, yes, another one of my favorite authors. Yeah. yeah. Ender's Game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I had no idea he was a Mormon. Yeah. Really? Until we did the interview. Yeah. He actually has. <laughs> really? Yeah. Holy crap! What a bonus! That's just a bonus. Oh yeah, sure. It's like two for one. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. <laughs> I've I've seen in certain fan communities that that he is. Um, Kind of controversial for some of his views. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> he's a hardcore Mormon. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, maybe now he's no longer the most famous since uh, Glenn Beck. <laughs> right. Right. Is Mitt Romney. But he was. He's. You know. Is Glenn Beck Mormon. I didn't know he was a Mormon. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And it, it shows in a lot of his. Um, his. The, the way he inscribes all of his rants on golden tablets and buries them in his backyard. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> Magic underwear. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, who doesn't have magic underwear? <laughs> um, <laughs> Baseball players and strippers. H.B. and Piper. H.B. <laughs> and Piper. The Lord Calvin Weatherwind stuff. Um, yeah, what else? I don't know. I know, I'm forgetting a bunch of stuff. I just used to read a lot of short stories, too. You know, yeah. Like Starlog and fantasy and science fiction and analog. Analog. My, that's the thing is my, my, um, my mom and my uncle had subscriptions to analog, so I'd read all that stuff. And they excerpted a lot of, uh, yeah, like um, um, uh, Piers Anthony and um, Fred Pohl and those guys. Mm-hmm. Alfred Hitchcock's Mystery Magazine, too. I used to read that. Yeah. My grandfather had anthology, like the Alfred Hitchcock Mystery Anthology books. Mm-hmm. Those. Yeah. Yeah. You said Hitchcock was a, an influence, right? Yeah. yeah. Thanks to my mother. She introduced yeah. me to Hitchcock. And of course, I mean, he's, I mean, what, can you name a greater filmmaker? Alfred Hitchcock, it'd be hard. Yeah. No, a greater, a greater auteur, and and he seemed like a cool guy. <laughs> like you watch Alfred Hitchcock presents, and you know, I mean, before it was, you know, breaking the fourth wall was, you know, absolutely every other third show does it now. He was bagging on sponsors and just being kind of a general <laughs> like jackass. It's like, totally awesome, you know. And this yeah. was when, what, 1962? You know, it's like. <laughs> Those are great. Yeah, yeah, they're totally great. You can find us on the internet at com. You can Twitter us at at ShakytownRadio. You can like us on Facebook at our Facebook page, facebook.com slash ShakytownRadio. Send us an email at ShakytownRadio at gmail.com or call us on the Shakytown Radio hotline at 626-66-SHAKE. That's 667-4253. That's the same number. I'm Roger Nygaard, and you are listening to Shaky Town Radio. In a very shaky world, this is where you want to be. All the songs that you hear this episode are by the band Hickey from their self-titled album. They are absolutely one of my all-time favorite bands. 
The first song is called Believe. This song is called Sleepin' Cowboy. And at the end of the show, you will hear In the Beginning. The singer was named Maddie Love. He passed away a couple years back. He's missed terribly. And there's a website devoted to him, and you can download every Hickey song that's ever been put out at mattylove.com. That's M-A-T-T-Y-L-U-V.com. Uh, the drummer uh, was named Aesop Decker, and he's in the band Ludacra, and I hope to have him on the show uh, sometime this year and talk to him about this band as well. Uh, in the meantime, we have a little bit more conversation with Roger Nygaard. Now, he was very generous with his time, and I thought that he might want to leave Studio BFH at this point, so I was beginning to wrap up the show, and that's what you'll hear on this next part. Um, and then we got sidetracked into this conversation uh, kind of about me and my beliefs, or rather my search for beliefs. Gene George is pretty firm in his atheism. Um, I, on the other hand, don't know what I believe anymore, and that's what we're about to talk about here. And uh, hope you enjoy. So, Roger, what do you have coming up as far as appearances? And um, obviously the natureexistence.com where people can get the DVD and the companion set. Yes. And uh, I'll give you the secret discount code. Oh, oh great. Uh, to your listeners. listeners Wonderful. Uh, I've got it on my phone here. I'll look it up. But So, well, May 13th, Friday the 13th in Tampa, Florida, the Free Thought Film Festival. But they do that on purpose. Uh, it's, it, a God, once again, it proves there's a God. <laughs> how else could something like that happen? Right, right. You know, coincidence? There's no I such thing as coincidence. Come on. That's your answer for everything. All right, here's the discount code. If you go to the website, thenatureofexistence.com, and go to the store page, and you order the companion series, or anything that totals $90 or more, you get $20 off. Please. So the code is DVD7DXA9. So DVD, 7, D as in dog, X, A as in alpha, David, 9. David X-Ray Alpha. Yes. Very cool. After watching The Shield and watching them do all the phonetic, LAPD phonetic alphabet. <laughs> David <laughs> X-Ray Alpha. And so you have that uh, Tampa appearance? Yeah. And, and uh, I'm, you know, if you have a group or a club of uh, spiritual, skeptic, atheist, religious, whatever, and you want to screen the film... I love doing Q&As afterward. Happy to do it. And you can do it by Skype. You just call me after your screening. And you put me on your computer or plug it into your TV. And we can ask questions back and forth. Very cool. And I have seen you do it in person. It's, it's great. It's always a good time. You can reach me through the website, too, at yeah. thenatureofexistence.com. Just go to Filmmaker and hit Contact, and you get my email address. Yeah. Right. And also have your work up at mm-hmm That's my, my resume page. It's fascinating reading. <laughs> I detect a note of sarcasm. <laughs> if you yeah, if you're having trouble going to sleep at night, dial like, up my webpage. And there read are people my that resume. like that sort of thing. <laughs> I, I presume. I just finally, as as I uh, Brody does the research, and I just stand around being a jackass. <laughs> no, I just recently in 2011 finally organized a coherent web presence where I have a portfolio. Well, I thought you were going to say in 2011 organized your existential crisis. Well, yeah, that too. I mean, and that's why I really appreciate this phone because. We're, I've been talking not as so much on mic, maybe a little bit on mic about how um, I'm. Yeah, I'm totally searching right now. I'm trying to figure out after being a Christian for the last 
30 odd years, very odd years. Oh, gotcha. Um, What's your question? What are you worried about? What do you can... um, I just, now, like, well, so much of what I know to be true in the Bible, quote unquote, know to be true, um, doesn't make sense to what I know now through science. And um, so how do you reconcile that? I I haven't. I just think it must not be true, you know? (laughs) Mm-hmm. And I know Gene's so, laughing because I'm not laughing at you. I'm actually is, laughing at something in my head. What does that mean? Not laughing at you. Not what does it mean now? Then, if you've acknowledged that what's in the Bible is not true, um, that what conclusion do you draw? Well, here's where I where I am now. I'm actually, I I'm trying to decide: Am I a deist? Am I somebody who it, do I think there is a God? If there is a God, does that mean that we need to love and worship Him? And actually, I kind of think if all life comes from women then it makes sense to me that god is a female um but maybe god is without gender let me give you a thought there's only four possibilities either there is no god or there is a god and that god is not paying attention to anything we're doing doesn't matter or there is a god and that god is paying attention but is powerless to have any effect over things or there is a god and that god is powerful and wants to happen everything that's happening, which would include the Holocaust and childhood leukemia and grandma losing an arm in a sawmill or... Terrible breakup. Take your pick. Yeah. So which one of those... You can only embrace one of those. Right. If, if you embrace the fourth one, which is the only one that religious people can, can embrace, otherwise prayer means nothing. Yeah. It's useless in the first three scenarios. If you embrace that fourth scenario, that means you have to worship a god that causes terrible things to happen to you and apparently wants those things to happen to you has a bigger plan for those horrible horrible things that happen here's what's the way steve fromstein put it my comedian friend who was in the movie the nature of existence he said to brother jed on stage it was just funny i invited him up at the premiere and he said is it true that god created heaven and hell and brother jed says yes of course is it true that god sent jesus to save us from hell he said yes isn't that like a family business? <laughs> it's kind of like the mafia, right? Nice. You yeah, create it's... the problem, and then you send the solution for what you got to pay for uh-huh. to prevent the problem. If yeah. God had not created hell in the first place, we wouldn't have to... Look, uh, it's, uh, it's like this. <laughs> you're going you know, to have to pay attention to this, or we're going to send you to hell. That's the way it works. <laughs> and but wait, I got something It could get you out of this <laughs> Here's another wrinkle that Steve Fromstein came up with Let's say you're minding your own business And God appeared before you And was going to set all your doubts aside By appearing before you and said, I am God And you'd say, okay, well, prove it He says, okay, and he does something miraculous That is even better than what a magician in Vegas can do And they can fool you yeah, yeah. Pretty well, right? Yeah. So let's say he does something that convinces you he's beyond a magician in, in Vegas. What if this is not a god, it's just a superior being from another planet right. claiming to be a god? How are you going to fact check him? Let's take it a step further. What if that being <laughs> thinks he's god, is delusional, and actually believes he's created the universe, but he hasn't. He's just one of the nutcases from some other place. Right. And it tells you, I created the universe. How are you going to fact check that delusional being's claims? So in any case with a conscious entity calling itself God, you have no, there's no way to win. You're all, the only reason to follow him is because you're afraid he's going to hurt you in mm-hmm. some way. But, that, but fear makes sense. <laughs> right. Everybody can understand fear. Exactly. Yeah. 
So where does that leave you? In, you know, if God is not a conscious entity, it's also irrelevant. If it's like the New Age thing, oh, it's an energy. It's everything around us. But if it's not conscious and paying attention to you... Who cares? What does it, how yeah, does right. it matter? Right. And I just ask these questions. I'd love to have an answer to someone to say, well, here's the reason why. You, know, you can plug right. into that energy like Tony Robbins, and it'll make you stronger. Or the, you know, the Taoists. You know, everything's like the force. There's an energy yeah, everywhere, yeah. and you can become... Well, you can get stronger through motivation, lots of ways to motivate yourself. And the brain, it's, our brains are very powerful instruments. Sure. And there's a lot going on in there. And, and knowledge is power too. And So who's got evidence to support their claims? That's the only way you can judge someone's tr- truthful claims or claims of truth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to be able to give an answer now, obviously. I think I'll <laughs> be seeking this answer for the rest of my life. Well, I like what David Wark said, one of the physicists I interviewed, particle physicists. He said that the strength of your belief should depend on the strength of the evidence. So right. all belief should be provisional, which is the opposite of religious belief where you have an ultimate truth regardless of uh, proof. You know, what is the definition of faith, for instance? Right. How would you define faith? Faith is um, a decision made on not proof, just... Belief in the absence of evidence. Okay, what is the definition of stupidity? How is it different from that? Well, I, well, I, think, you could, I think you could argue semantics, but stupidity just seems to be... That I, belief... Uh, dis- <laughs> What, how did you phrase faith again? <laughs> belief in the absence of evidence. And my, I think it's stupidity might be belief despite the evidence. Or at least they sound pretty similar to me. Those two things, it, like willfully, it's like willful ignorance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, yeah, I, I would say because stupidity, stupidity implies something else. That stupidity implies the inability to grasp something, and and willfully, because I'm sure there are a lot of fundamentalist Christians or. You know, you know, Islamist terrorists who are intelligent people who, you know, given you know a set of you know rational skeptical tools and you know skeptical worldview where they're questioning things around them and accepting evidence and moving on, um, would be able to do that. They're not stupid, you know. They're they're probably they're dumb or misguided. I would say, but you know, um, yeah, yeah. So I think stupid's not right decision or choice to willful, be ignorance. willful ignorance is, but see I think but I think ignorance is one thing you know it's like if you've never seen a horse before then you see guys riding horses by you and you think they are monsters with the, <laughs> the heads of men growing over the backs of animals I okay that's fine but then when you see one of them dismount and take a shit it's like oh that's a dude <laughs> you know you, so but if you continue to go on worshipping them as gods wait because... who took the shit the man or the horse both, both. both. <laughs> okay. both. Okay. do you know why a horse has one more brain or sorry why does a blonde have one more brain cell than a horse mm. I should save this for the end really? so that so that the blonde won't shit during the parade nice <laughs> as far as you know <laughs> but uh, yeah willful ignorance so is, willful ignorance is definitely worse you know, in my opinion, because then you're, you know. Are you willfully ignorant? No, no. I, I If I find out that I'm ignorant about something, I want to find out more about it. Not, so. until, not until recently. <laughs> <laughs> when you have knowledge, you cannot ignore it. You have to act upon it. Absolutely. I find yeah, that happening the, to me. The, the cognitive, I think the cognitive dissonance required for willful ignorance is, is troubling to me. That level right. of... What I was laughing at, and we'll bring this back to the shield because I just finished watching all seven seasons essentially back to back to back. Um, 
the, but they asked Mackie, somebody asked Mackie, well, how do you live with yourself? I just don't think about it. <laughs> and that's, and that's, I think is, I just don't yeah. think about it is, yeah. is, is the answer to a lot of this is, you know, it just never crops up. It's not something you actively go out and seek, you know, these answers and Brody, you're actively trying to find these answers. Yeah. And for the most part, most people are just, and like, that's, I just don't think about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, and not wanting to alienate either you or audience. But that's why I became Too late. vegan. I mean, I once I really understood not only the nature of animals and but of the industry of food. Yeah, to me there was no other choice but to be vegan. And I know not I, most people do not make that choice. I am one percent of one percent of the population that's vegetarian. And you're still wrong. <laughs> if everyone in the country was forced to tour a slaughterhouse, you would see a, a huge change in people in their behavior. Yeah, it'd be hard not to act on that. Now, Gene, that's industrial, not say everybody. An industrial slaughterhouse. An industrial yeah, slaughterhouse. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I agree. Because I mean, I, I, one of the places I grew up, uh, my f- friends and family had a farm, and they would slaughter chickens and goats, and you know that they would raise. And I honestly, um, I think it's one of the reasons why I care a lot more about where my food comes from, and and you know, and how I cook it, and what I use, and I don't throw food away, and things like that. Yeah. Because if you're gonna kill an animal for your food. You should not. You, know, you shouldn't drive thousands of <laughs> horses off a cliff and then eat five of them. <laughs> Gorge yourself in five of them and then walk away from their rotting corpses. Wait, that's like how you uh, play Oregon Trail, right? You shoot <laughs> right, all the buffalo. Right, 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 right. <laughs> right totally. But uh, yeah, you know, um, yeah. But I think I, I, again, it's what we were talking about before the apocalypse. It's, we have an industrial society and everything is done on an industrial scale. To feed that society, so, so you we have continue to continue expanding. You have to have factories. You have to have factory farms, and you have our to have, economy requires continual growth, which yeah. requires continual influx of people. Right. And even and even you know even the slow food stuff and 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 local vor stuff that I find fascinating and, and delicious is not necessarily a solution because it's still only a drop in the bucket of it's the one percent of the one percent of the other side of it, yeah. you know, it's like you still can't feed, you know, the greater Los Angeles area with, you know, hemp oil and, yeah. and you know, locally gently treated chicken eggs. Well, I feel like the <laughs> I feel like technology will collide with an ethical evolution to make it so that we can sustain, live, and be yeah. s- well, sustainable and without or enslaving and slaughtering bi- animals. Or we're going to be cannibal bikers. See, you're, you're, see <laughs> let's not get into this argument. Because the last time we did, it was the worst thing ever. Um, I, think we'll, I think we'll end up with cannibal biker gangs before we'll end up with, with evolving into an ethical... But, but will the cannibal bikers wear leather? <laughs> well, technically, they, I, well, no, that was... Human leather. <laughs> yes. Boom. Exactly. <laughs> Technically, well, I was, was going to say in Mad Max they can only afford one leather suit. Every other <laughs> you have to get some uh, old golf pros or some old Hollywood actresses who've been out in the sun too long. Make yes. perfect jackets out of right. No, no. I think you want kids. I think you want to stitch it. They're soft, supple, it's like you know, doe skin. Justin Bieber. Yeah, totally. Oh, you think you don't think he's all hardened up now, all of the hair product and stuff? <laughs> Come on, that baby face. You'd crawl up in that and well, like it's been great. It's, I don't know. Do you have anything we want to cover? I, we've, been, we've been yapping for 40 And oh, are you, you're on Twitter at Roger Nygaard? Roger Nygaard on Twitter as well as Existence Movie. Very cool. So and we Facebook, can Facebook. The Nature of Existence is on Facebook. And uh, yeah, 
friend me. Go yeah. to my website. Say hello. As always, you can go to um, our website, shakytownradio.com, to find those links. And um, we'll put, also Shaky be putting up a trailer. Town. Yeah. Shaky town. We will provide that information as a service to you, our listener. Quiet <laughs> an announcer it up there. Um, wow, this has been really fun. I've had a really great time. Yeah. And Brody's no closer to solving his existential crisis. <laughs> oh, yeah, he might be a little Which bit closer. Which it's Definitely giving me a path to think of, you know, uh-huh. go on and thinking about it, for sure. <laughs> I, well, I, 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 I really do ultimately think it doesn't make it, it doesn't make a lick of difference, ultimately. Well, well once you're, so what AHA says, you're one of your favorites, yeah. he says in the movie that you have to realize that uh, 100 years from now, you're going to be dead and forgotten. No one's going to think about you. But to go ahead and do what you have to do now, despite the fact you're going to be forgotten, is the definition of courage. But you can't do anything else. You can be paralyzed. That's the thing is you can be paralyzed with existential fear. You know, at, at, I, I'm trying to remember who, who said it, and, and it may have been somebody, and I may, it may be second or third hand, but you didn't exist before, and you will not exist after you're dead. Right. And it didn't matter to you when you weren't here, and, you know, now you're here, so it's not going to matter ultimately. So if you get hit by a bus, you're just not going to fucking care about it, you know. So, so you you know you raise a child and you have some food and watch some television and do some art, yeah, know? and try to make that child a better version of yourself. Yeah, exactly. Hopefully, not, or at least a, as good as yourself. <laughs> yeah, not a juvenile delinquent. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, try to raise a better human being. You know, somebody who's going to yeah run the cannibal biker gang much. You know, much more with an even hand. Yeah. Supposed to arbitrary, capricious <laughs> impalings. Well, hopefully, you know, we, we won't end up at Campbell Biker Games, and hopefully, a lot of people see your film and realize what we do have in common, and we can learn to mostly actually hope, coexist. Mostly, I hope the people. The nature will. of coexistence, maybe. Yeah, well, that was kind of a play on words, too, in the title, you know, was to, like, those coexist bumper stickers. Yeah. Which, uh, doesn't make sense until we you have to understand what those other people are thinking before you can coexist otherwise you're you it's natural to be fearful of right. people who are different from you yeah so you have to understand know your enemy i think is what you're saying <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. why did i why did i turn into that you get to know your enemy and then they're, they're they become a friend right because mark twain you know, i'll paraphrase badly but said something to the effect that the best way to fight prejudice or bigotry is through travel yeah go meet people yeah. right Find and speak speak, speak, in, speak in English to them very loudly. <laughs> now learn a couple words of their language. Right. Please and thank you. Yeah. Hello. Goodbye. Right. We were just talking about I, need, I want to know where's the bathroom and, and are we going to jail? Donde el baño? <laughs> Donde está la corte de baño? <laughs> Mas mantequilla, por favor. Yeah. And the only phrase I know in Klingon, speaking of uh, speaking Chinese, is uh, where is the bathroom? <laughs> <laughs> you never know when that might come in handy. Cayate al hocico. What's that one? Uh, like th- three phrases in Spanish. That's uh, shut your snout. Oh. <laughs> nice. nice. And that's what we're going to do right now. Thank you so much for coming. Yeah, Roger, it's been, been a pleasure. Yeah. So until next time, I'm Brody Foster Hubbard. I'm Gene George. Roger Nygaard. Uh, I'll, I'll leave you with my favorite quote from Stephen Wright. This is my favorite Stephen Wright joke. He once did this. He said, uh, I came home and all of my furniture had been stolen. And replaced with exact duplicates. <laughs> nice. Very good.